Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This movie stinks. Terrible. Oh, it was stupid. God. Completely indulgent. And you didn't like it. Sorry. I was groaning throughout the whole thing. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Nick, what are we talking about today? Fiona, this is a very exciting episode. We are talking about the best and worst movies and TV of 2018. It's been an exhaustive process. We've spent a year whittling these lists down also compiling it, seeing things. Oh, I had my list at the beginning of the year. It's not easy. It's not easy to, I mean, there's hundreds of movies that come out, hundreds, maybe thousands of TV shows, and it's hard to come up with what is the best. What for you is the best? What does the best mean to you? Well, for me, it's, it's a combination of clearly what stands out for the best reasons and the worst, <laughs> um, according to the li- which list it falls on. Also, the experience of watching it. Like there's one here that was my best cinema going experience. And also it was the quality of the film I was seeing at the time. So it's, you know, it's a combination of things, but it's just the standouts in terms of quality and the opposite of quality for the worst list. So I, I, I use an emotional meter for some of the, I'm an emotional person and I'm led by my gut. And if I had a big emotional response, I like to nod to those things. Because even though there's some that I intellectualize that are, this is great stuff and it's super new and fresh, but if I didn't get hooked emotionally, then I, I had yeah. to leave it as a special mention. Yeah, I think it's both. Well, I think that speaks to the storytelling, the success of that to yeah. be able to hit you in the gut. Yeah. Mm. We should mention up at the top where, where movies are concerned, Australian release dates sometimes, especially at the end slash beginning of the year, they get a little fuzzy with American release dates. So the Oscars might be celebrating movies that, 2017 movies that haven't been released in Australia until 2018. Like? Well, one of them is on my list, Phantom yeah. Thread. Right. January release. Because yeah, I think for best and worst, it's calendar year. Right. You know, when the audience gets to see it, we're lucky we get to see previews. We're already seeing some that are coming out next January. But, you know, you haven't been able to see it, so I think it's the list of what came out this year. Right. So let's hear it. Let's get started. Okay. What have you got? Movies? Yes. Movies best. Yeah, I want to hear the best. Yes, the best. <laughs> I don't the want best, these mixed up. <laughs> best movies of the year. According to me. Uh, my favourite is a Boxing Day release. So it's in just under the wire, Cold War. Mm-hmm. It has done some of the festivals, so maybe some people have had a chance to see it as well. I saw it at the Sydney Film Festival and it's coming up Boxing Day. So you know what you're doing on Boxing Day if you haven't seen it. Uh, this one's from Pavel Pawlikowski, the Polish director who did Ida a couple of years ago, won the Oscar for that think he can clear room on his mantelpiece for the next one. It's a story of like a messy love affair, a relationship over sort of a decade behind the Iron Curtain. It's jazzy and it's sexy and sad and just impeccably shot, this beautiful black and white depiction of a part of the world that we don't really see. Like Iron Curtain depictions usually quite staid and grey and, and yes, this one's black and white, but there's so much life to it and it's incredible. And we're doing we'll, – we'll talk a bit more about it next week because that's when it's being released. Mm-hmm. And we're actually talking to Pavel Pawlikowski. But best of the year. Okay. Me. Fantastic. Number two, A Star is Born. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> talk about emotional responses to movies. Yeah. 
Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Bradley Cooper's remake of the remake of a remake of the story, you know, of a doomed love, another one. Oh, what's with me this year? I just adored it and I thought it was the best of all the versions. I think it articulates the struggle of living with someone with an addiction um, as much as it does about story of ambition and make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. If you want to be famous, stay true to yourself with fantastic performances. Loved it. So I, on my top five, I also have this movie, but only mm. the first two thirds. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, fair or uh, if it works with the rules, but I well, absolutely... Well, we set the rules, so sure, whatever. Yeah, all right, great. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely loved the first two thirds of this movie and I was totally caught off guard. I didn't I didn't expect to have such a big response. I was let down by the end just because I feel like it, it worked out a little too neatly. And But the last, the very end is very good. I mean, it, it brings it back around for the last minute or two. Anyway, I, I don't care about this kind of story generally. I'm very tired of stars being born stories. <laughs> but I, after this, I started looking into Lady Gaga's music again. I reconsidered... The song Bad Romance, which I now think is a kind of masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just was not expecting to be so floored by it. Yeah, right. Yeah, we concur. My number three favourite film of the year, Summer 1993. Now, I did speak about this a few months ago when it came out, but this one is the Spanish film set in 1993, no surprises there, about the six-year-old who it's from her perspective and her world has changed irrevocably and she can't say why and she can't articulate why. She's living with grief. She's a pariah. You know, it's about the panic around AIDS, the epidemic in the 90s, and it's a beautiful story, gorgeous child's eye view of the world. Loved it. That movie is, it's not on my list, but it's its great. The ending is unbelievable. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah. Packs a punch. Good one. Thanks. Well, I didn't make it, but loved it. And here we already mentioned Phantom Thread is my number four of the year. Due to that quirk of release dates, I think it's darkly funny. This is the Paul Thomas Anderson film with um, Daniel Day-Lewis as a fashion designer. Vicky Cripps as his muse, love, very dysfunctional love again. Uh, and Leslie Manville as his very formidable Leslie sister. Leslie Manville's great, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Incredible film, period film, yeah, with a really dark wit running under it. That I, I think this one was un underseen by a lot of people, I think it fell under the radar a little bit, but seek it out. It's so good. I is adored it, it. It's Daniel Day-Lewis's last movie, isn't it? Yeah, so he says. Let's hope not. It was great. Yeah. And rounding out my top five, and I've got a couple of honourable mentions because I couldn't narrow it completely down to five. Top five, uh, Three Identical Strangers. I wouldn't believe the story if someone else were telling it, but it's true. I'd be worried it. It started when I went to college. It was the first day of school. All these people are coming up to me saying, Eddie, how are you? Eddie, hi. I'm like, my name's not Eddie. I don't know what you're talking about. As soon as this guy turned around, I knew it was Eddie's double. I said, you're not going to believe this. You have a twin brother. Oh, my God. Three Identical Strangers, the documentary, which we have raved about a couple of times on the show, for the revelations within the story and the expert way it throws breadcrumbs and then revisits it and does callbacks to the broader story and also for the experience of watching it in a filled state theatre at the Sydney Film Festival and having the audience react to those revelations. It was I love watching films like that that way. 
Well, that validates the theatrical experience, which is becoming less and less necessary as people become more and more horrible <laughs> and TVs become bigger and bigger. I think people have always been horrible. I think they've just got more means to show how horrible they They're are. They're not throwing tomatoes anymore like they used to. Mm. Three Identical Strangers is also on my list. Oh. We've got a couple of overlaps here. Should have talked. <laughs> um, I can't remember the last time I spent so much of a movie with my mouth agape mm. at um, just how horrifying things get um, halfway through. Yes. The revelations. I mean, talk about being unexpected. Uh, I didn't know anything about it going into it, and it, yeah, floored me. Amazing movie. Mm. I think we'll be talking about it come Oscar time too. It'll definitely be nominated. I hope so, yeah. Yeah. What's your best? Okay. So my best movie of the year, and this is the absolute best movie of the year. Um, <laughs> I can have my list. Objectively. But yeah. Is uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. I went big with this because I left the theater absolutely thrilled. Almost every minute, I felt like Tom Cruise's charisma was validated, uh, increasingly so, throughout the movie. And its he's one of the last movie stars of his kind. Henry Cavill's doing his best work. And all year, I don't think there has been an image that has been seared into my brain, a film image, more than Henry Cavill in the bathroom fight scene, extending his arms to loosen up his sleeves because he's about to do some punching. So for some reason, that has been in my head all year and nothing's topped it. I absolutely love um, Tom Cruise in this movie. Okay. Next. Did you see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I also, but I will now. <laughs> I, also, I also went back um, and watched all the first Mission Impossible movies and... They get better, well, with the exception of number two, which is horrendous. They get better and better. That's the Australian one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Not good. I did say that one. <laughs> um, so, and as discussed, Three Identical Strangers and A Star is Born, mm. those are on my list. And then, two and three? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Before I go further, uh, I wanted to tip my hat to Lady Bird, which was released at the beginning of 2018. It was when we talked about it uh, for Oscars season. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite movies, but I, I, I treated it like a 2017 movie because we talked about it a year ago. Okay. So my number four- So that's an honorable mention then, maybe. Yeah, more or less. Um, my number four is um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Don't let producer Dan hear that. Producer Sorry, Dan. That? <laughs> producer Dan, um, you've seen this film. Look, I saw the trailer for it and I thought, you know, this looks pretty cool. I wasn't expecting it to be the knockout that that film really no. is. I I thought the animation looked good and I thought, well, the new take, great, excited. Mm. I thought it was the easily the best superhero movie of the year and, well, obviously one of my five favorite movies of the year. I I thought the freshness of the take, the how effortlessly they brought in a whole bunch of new spider men and women and pigs uh, <laughs> and how they juggled all of that and made it seem new. And Miles Morales is a great new Spider-Man. And at the end, I didn't stick around to after the credits. I missed that because it was just taking forever. But uh, the last shot, technical shot of the main movie with Miles Morales in bed, uh, I was just, I got very emotional and uh, I thought, that this is so great because it's like Black Panther was really good. It was good, mm. but it, it was elevated by how uh, the representation and how new 
so much of it felt, right? Yeah. But this had the representation, did a great job with that, but it was also really well put together and Mm. just kind of a thrill ride all the way through. What I thought, there was two things that really sort of stood out with me about why this is such a slam dunk movie. One, you've got the first Spider-Man of color. You've got young Miles Morales, who's a, what, like 14-year-old teenager. Uh, He's of a background of, uh, what is it, Puerto Rican? He's half black, half Puerto Rican. Yeah. And so you've got his mother speaking to him in Spanish at the beginning. So, like, that's certainly part of his culture, but they don't really dwell on it too much. But the entire film is about diversity because you've got this uh, young Spider-Man who's looking for his people and finds it with other spider people. Yeah. And so that group of spider people, you've got a uh, young woman in there, like a teenager who's a spider woman. Uh, You've got like an older white guy, which is Peter Parker coming into it. You've got a 1930s depression era noir Spider-Man. Played by Nicolas Cage, which is amazing. (laughs) Pretty phenomenal. Uh, You've got a very sort of stereotypical Japanese schoolgirl character at least like the an anime she, an anime character an anime character yeah. like things that she's interested in and her world is like a traditional anime sort of a world yeah and also you've got a spider pig oh god the spider pig is so funny and his name's spider ham let's yeah. show the respect that's right peter spider porker ham. the spider ham. peter porker right but the film is about him finding his people and just having a community around of different people all coming for a different life experience and so they don't really play on Miles Morales' ethnicity and the diversity so much as much as everyone and i think that's lovely as someone who calls for uh, diversity and representation in these kinds of movies and TV shows, it's impeccable the way they do it. We want to see big movies where the fact that he's not white is not the point. He's just a regular American living his life. Yeah, you mentioned it doesn't dwell on it. I think the fact it's included at all is is the accomplishment, and it's yes. how it then incorporates that into the story without, you know, you don't you should beating need you over the head on. with it. Yeah. Well, you know it. People should notice in a way that it's ah, cool. Yes. And then and then what else you got? Like what what's with the yeah. story? And it, like you sh- it, it should just be is. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, we've come to a point where it it needs to be made a point of in order to make people take notice. Thank you, producer Dan. So my final, my number five. I have to give a nod to Game Night. Tonight we're taking Game Night up a notch. Oh boy. Mm. Someone in this room is going to be taken, and it's going to be up to you to find them. It's a murder mystery party. Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. Wait a sec. You can't just come in here and break the door. Oh! Oh, What's that real? Hurting asshole! Help me, please! This isn't... Guys, make sure you get a piece of this cheese. It's just... First one that follows us gets shot. Okay, Roger that. You drive safe. So it's Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams are a game night obsessed couple mm-hmm. who they're very competitive with each other, with other people. They're having game night every week with friends who come over, uh, charades and um, what's the one where Big you draw? Yeah. 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 And it reminds me of, well, first of all, I think it's hilarious. There, I was, I was cracking up, seen it twice, cracking up all the way through. It's very smart, self-referential, self-aware. I mean, JF, it's a Jason Bateman character. He plays the same kind of dude in lots of movies. Yeah, uh, he doesn't really stretch himself. No, but, but it's perfect it's good for to him. say it was used to good effect. Rachel McAdams is so funny. There's one of the scenes where they're both making each other almost throw up because she's trying to get, get a bullet out of his arm. It's very, very funny. It's um, good to say she's got a good comic role because she was stuck in yes. mediocre rom-coms for a while. Or not even rom-coms, mediocre sad romances for a while. Maybe because yeah. of The Notebook. 
Yeah, Maybe true. the notebook is to true. blame. But There's she started off- a couple time off, travel romance things. Yes. She started off in Mean Girls. Yeah. And she was funny in Mean Girls. So yeah, it was great. She's got some amazing moments. Just great joke, filled with great jokes. And it reminded me of a, like we don't see a lot of original comedy scripts. They don't come along all that often. So it almost harkens back to a different era. Like mm. maybe the late 90s or early aughts, something like that. Mm. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Okay. Different lists. <laughs> a couple of- A uh, couple of overlaps. Yeah, a couple of overlaps. I had on a couple of honourable mentions as well because yeah, let's I make found it very hard to get yes. to five. Just outside of my top five was On Body and Soul, the Oscar-nominated Hungarian film by Ildiko Enyedi, set in the abattoir. This one was the abattoir romance that I mentioned a few months back now. It's kind of an existential story. Uh, very much it is. It's about two abattoir workers who have quite, let's say, dull day lives, but at night time they share a dream. They share the same dream. It's very graphic in terms of abattoir scenes, so you might want to steer clear of that if that's not something that you feel you can stomach. But it's yeah, it's very much about what it means to be human and to be in the flesh and incredible. Loved it. So that was a regret to take out of my top five. But I also it's I also really like that movie. Oh, you saw that too? Yeah, I think okay. it's very good. Mm. Also, Shoplifters. It's currently in release. Yeah, the Coriator film that's probably going to be Oscar nominated as well. It won the Palm d'Or this year. I think it's a great movie. That one, I'm okay to see it on the periphery. I think it, I think it's really good and everyone should see it. So it's an honourable mention. And also The Old Man and the Gun, Robert uh, Redford's swan song. Great honourable mention. Yeah. And great guest, the director, David Lowry. Lovely. Who joined us on the playlist couple of episodes ago for yeah. a great chat. Yes. And many more besides, but we've got a time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got time constraints here. What, what were some that just edged out of your top five? Just squeeze in. Um, can You Ever Forgive Me? Okay, yep. The Melissa McCarthy, Richard E. Grant comedy drama. She's great. I love uh, that era of New York. I have seen that now. I saw it on the weekend. Uh, yeah, I think it's very good. It was exactly what I thought it would be, and that's not a diss. And yeah. she was great. He was quite touching in the end yeah. there. Yeah. I really liked it. And um, last honorable mention I wanted to make is Sorry to Bother You, mm. which may, I may, um, there may be a recency bias. I, I just saw it the other day. But um, the last film you saw was five stars. Amazing. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> So it's um, Boots Riley's, it's very avant-garde, you know, and it stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, and everybody's really good in it. I I don't know what it all means. (laughs) There's lots of big ideas, big themes happening uh, throughout. I mean, there's capitalism, uh, race, all all kinds of big things being discussed, but it's super weird, super entertaining, and... uh, Kind of scary at the end. Yeah, right. I'm glad you included that. That's on my list to watch. I haven't got to that yet, I'm afraid. But that's in a small release. So, yeah, grab it if you can. Yeah, um, definitely worth seeing. And I, I think it's good to give honourable mentions to movies with big ambition that, that yes. try to give it a go. Um, Absolutely. Which maybe takes us to worst because there's a few that tried a few things and it just did not work. Yes. But I'm glad you included one that was kind of a big, bold. So what are your worst? Well, so my worst films. You just mentioned Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And I'm not sure I can ever forgive her because Happy Time Murders, mm. The Happy Time Murders came out a couple of months back. You hated it. Well, I actually forgot I saw it. In compiling this list, it was a late inclusion because I, I then saw what came out this year and I, oh my God, that's right, I saw that and hated it. And it's terrible. And it's shot to number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's the body's coping mechanisms when it just kind of blocks things out. But... It was terrible. Okay. And again, I make this point a bit, but it's a comedy that's not funny. To oh, hell, that's not good. And there is just no story. Well, there's an attempt at a story. And it has a couple of couple of pretty slim jokes 
that it then spends the rest of the movie doing callbacks to and just making the same joke. Wasn't funny once, by about the third or fourth time. It's really not funny. Uh, this is the one, the film noir about it's kind of meant to be really raunchy, puppets having sex and killing each other and doing drugs and from the house of Henson, like Brian Henson made, wanted to make this American R-rated comedy. Um, he really shouldn't have. It's terrible. Number two, see, it's a bit of a toss-up. I've, I've put numbers against them, but whatever. It, it's a bit of a mix, this top five. Didn't care for Unsane, the Steven Soderbergh film with Claire Foy, oh, set in the mental institution. Right. Um, it was stupid, loopy with a dumb ending. Twist ending? Yes. Kind of a <laughs> ending. And you didn't like it? No, but I didn't like it before that either. Oh, it's not right. just because of the ending. Um <laughs> I don't know why it got a cinema release, to be honest, because, like, there are good films that are bypassing cinemas now. This is a bad film that went to cinemas. No one really saw it. It would be perfectly fine to pop up in your Netflix queue or whatever. Yeah. But it's still bad even then. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, nope. What's next? Mandy. Oh. A lot Nicholas of people like Some people like that movie. A lot of people loved it. Yeah. Good for them. I didn't. And this is one I alluded to where it's, ambitious and it really tries to go for something and it's going full horror attempting. Yeah. Um, but it's completely indulgent and Do you not want to give it points for trying? Well I think I have and it's still on the list. Right. Like it's I, I absolutely understand this was probably on a lot of people's best of the year. That's fine. That's part of the fun of this. It's seeing yeah, yeah. the personality comes through in the list you compile, I think. I think it's fine. I'd love to have a conversation with someone who loved it to be able to tell me what they loved about it because I was bored. Visually, there's a lot going on and that's great, but this, there was no story to back it up. And Linus Roach was playing to the back row as a ridiculous cult leader, murderous hillbilly whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and Andrea Riseborough had nothing to do. She was the damsel here. She was Mandy who met a very grisly end and Nicolas Cage went to avenge that and that's okay. it and that's fine. That's sometimes the premise of a lot of films that are good but not this one and I just felt it was one of those, it's all about buying into the Nicolas Cage, what can I, what do you Aura. call it? Yep, that, leaning into that and laughing at the big eyes and the, he gets an amazing scene where it dawns on him that he's lost the love of his life. But that's fairly early on and then it's just a matter of watching okay. him go on a rampage. And it's not that it's horror that it's on the list. I'm there for a good horror, yep. even if it's through my fingertips. But no, sorry. Ba-bow. Number four on my worst, a recent watch, Mortal Engines. Mm. Mm. You've complained about this a couple of times. <laughs> Off mic as well. Yeah, a real head scratcher, this one. Produced by a friend of the show, Peter Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Sorry, Jackson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> plot for days, but no coherent story. Another one that's ambitious and it puts everything up on the screen and that's fine. Technically, it looks great, but my goodness, the adaptation was a mess. Nope. Yeah. Nope, nope. Um, five, it's a bit of a, oh, I'm cheating here and I'm putting two on as my five. <laughs> Uh, we set the rules. It's both Jurassic Park, whatever it was called, this one, Fallen Kingdom, is that it? Yes. And Venom. Just as two much-hyped, you know, of a type, a big popcorn movie that I came out of with a shrug. Yes. You know, there are some films that shot to this list immediately and others that were, eh, 
that was two hours. I'll never get back. And those two are this. So I've merged them because it was the same feeling coming out of them. Didn't care for them. They were overhyped. There were much better films that people should have gone and watched. These made a mozza. I'm a bit cranky about that. They're on my list. Those two are also in some form on my list oh, as well because okay. I I found Venom was a huge letdown. I was because I'm a huge uh, I'm a big Tom Hardy fan. I was really expecting big stuff, and and I didn't get except for the Venom voice. I'm always uh, Tom Hardy's <laughs> always got a good voice, but but yeah, just a, a huge letdown. It, it didn't go to any interesting places. It didn't look all that good. Mm. And same for Jurassic Park. I I, I left that movie. Just wondering why, 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 why do we keep doing the same thing, same mm. movie over and over again? And I, I guess it makes a billion dollars, so that's why. But. That's why. And the best thing I could say about Jurassic Park, this one, was it wasn't as bad as the last one. The last of the new oh. ones. But that's not high praise. I thought was it was worse. Terrible. I thought it was worse because it, it was doing the same story over. Just that. No, I had much bigger issues with the oh, okay. last one. And with Bryce Dallas Howard, the way they just made her okay. alpha type lady running in heels but um this one was still bad yeah yeah so okay okay your top five worst okay so i i need to say that um i'm uncomfortable with worst the worst label because uh i didn't see sherlock gnomes i'm sure that was terrible and i think for me it's more about expectations and hype so something like hereditary yeah which i have on my list okay it's kind of fine it's all right but because it was, and maybe it's not the movie's fault, and maybe mm-hmm. this is a wrong way to approach it, but because of all the hype around it, because of how scary, because of all the headlines screaming at me how scared I was going to be, I was just kind of, oh, that's it? Yeah, that's not the movie's fault, but yes. So, also, but also, I yeah, I haven't put on my list. Again, that's one where it, was, it really went for it. <laughs> yeah. And did it ever, and it didn't quite work in the ending. I thought the ending was ridiculous. The ending was terrible. Um, but- yeah, I'd still give it points for giving it a go. Okay. but So it's no Mandy. <laughs> it's no Mandy, yes. <laughs> um, Mandy pipped hereditary. So this is uh, The Nutcracker and The Four Realms. Okay, didn't say it. These Disney, Some of these big Disney releases, especially for the holidays, they're giving you the hard sell. This is something to enjoy with your family. You and the kids are going to get together. You are going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to love it. And uh, I thought it was a super lame, like Alice in Wonderland uh, ripoff. You know, they're building a lot of story out of the Nutcracker suite, the um, ballet. Yes. Yeah. And um, it stinks. Kira Knightley is, uh, is, I mean, she's doing her best. It's not her fault, but it's, uh, it's terrible. Everybody's terrible in it. I didn't see Mortal Engines, so I'm going to go with something perhaps comparable, uh, Ready Player One. Ooh, okay. And I love Spielberg, and I loved The Post. And then I thought, and then yeah. and then I thought, come on, you know what's They're going on here? They're not in the same universe. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's huge mess. Obviously, very dazzling, and it was getting stabbed in the eyes by um, all the effects and um, all the pop culture references were just killing me. But they're part of the story. Oh god! I didn't love the movie, but all, yeah, well, go I back was, to listen to our episode where we did Ready Player One. Yeah, on this. I was. I was groaning throughout the whole thing. I couldn't handle it. Yeah, okay. Um, Fantastic Beasts. Okay. The Crimes of Grindelwald. Grindelwald. This movie stinks just like the one before it. (laughs) None of it makes any sense. I guess if you're a huge Harry Potter head, then this is is fan service. This is- Yes, but I think fans- Or were they let down? Have said that. Yes, I've seen people let down who loved it, who were full Potterheads. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that what yes, they call themselves? The, that's the proper term. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't think saying I was okay. one for the fans. I think fans went, mm, not yeah. for me. You know, there's a big reveal at the end. We were warned not to give it away because uh, you're going to ruin it for so many people. And I, I, it was just so, I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get why it was such a big deal. So, yeah, that's so it. That's five? Well, and then included the, I also agreed with the Venom um, Jurassic World. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I thought Creed 2 was really annoyingly kind of a letdown, but I also felt- At least felt, dishonorable mentions now. You, yeah, that's you that's that. more of a dishonorable mention. Okay. Because I, I was really let down by that. So, yeah, I would say that. Okay. And like I said, I'm sure Sherlock Gnome stinks. But you haven't seen it, so you but can't I haven't seen it with but authority. But I haven't seen it, that's right. <laughs> All right, we've got a few things off our chest there. Yep. <laughs> Uh, TV. Right. So um, this was almost harder. Well, I don't know if it was harder than the movies uh, coming up with my with the top five. I, I didn't feel like when I was going over all the TV that was that I've seen this year and other stuff that came out. I mean, it's I, there was so much and so much I wasn't able to see that um, I ended up feeling like it just wasn't that great a year. There were no series that I absolutely loved start to finish. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of content. It's a, it's, mm. it's hard to maintain a particular level of quality, I would say. But, so I ended up picking more, picking things more for moments, for scenes, yeah. for performances. That's fair. And I, when I compared it to last year, there were things that really blew me away, like the Vietnam War, mm. um, Catastrophe, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Handmaid's Tale, um, Big Little Lies, Difficult People, Search Party, those kinds of things I really loved. And this year, I, there wasn't anything like that for me. Okay. Having said that. <laughs> and I, I do think that more and more, the vast amount of content is pushing everything into the middle, into kind of a swamp of mediocrity. It's okay. You know, there's a lot that's okay. Very good. So that's a bit of a downer. <laughs> yes. So, yes, I'm sorry. Having said that. Having said that, my five favorites would start with Atlanta Robin season. Mm-hmm. So, as seen on SBS Fast Lane. That's right. So this is on at the top of my list because of its uniqueness and because of some flashes of weirdness. And uh, I'm thinking mainly of the Teddy Perkins episode, <laughs> which was just incredible and so strange. Donald Glover in a doing a Michael Jackson slash. There's some other references in there that I'm forgetting, but it's he's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, super surprising, and he is unbelievably unsettling Mm. as Teddy Perkins. Atlanta's on my list as well. I'll let you finish, but I'll just say because it is. Yes, it's weird, but it's it's also masterful, and like it puts so many different genres in an episode, and each one of them is so good, and it's it's true to the genre it's representing in the episode. So, and it's funny, and then it's not, and that's a fine tonal shift. Like it, it gets it. I'm I'm always. So impressed with this show. Yeah. So anyway, that's why it's on my list too. And there was, uh, in addition to Teddy Perkins, there's also an episode where Brian Tyree Henry, um, his character gets lost, has to walk home, he gets lost in the woods, he gets robbed. Uh, incredible. Mm. Just an incredible um, episode. I also want to give a special nod to um, This Is America video, yeah. which is... Like nothing else. Like nothing else. The song is amazing. The video is amazing. Donald Glover is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number one. Okay, um, number two is going to be just for surely for my emotional response. Sorry for your loss, oh. which is a Facebook show. 
Facebook's doing shows. <laughs> of course they are. It is. Uh, it's Facebook Watch. It's four episodes. It's a portrait of a woman grieving after the loss of her husband. And um, it's one of the best uh, portrayals of grief. I think it's kind of uneven. There's a lot of stuff that um, that isn't great in it. But the characterizations of what it's like, the, the banal um, intensity of grief, mm. I think it does an amazing job with it. I haven't watched that. Little raw, <laughs> maybe next year. Very yes, it's very raw. Um, so I'm gonna go with, and I don't, I don't think it's amazing, but the assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime oh. Story. It's just very entertaining. It's very sad about the de- depressing pursuit of fame. Darren Crisp um, is really great as Andrew Cunanan, who killed Gianni Versace, and it's it's just very good. And I want to make a side special mention mm. for Pose, which is also a Ryan Murphy joint. Pose is like nothing I've ever seen. Mm. So it's kind of but it's not one of my official top five, I guess, but it's it's pretty dazzling. It really is, yeah. So a nod to the Ryan Murphy stable. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I have to include some satire because it's been an extremely difficult uh year politically and especially well, everywhere. But in America. And I feel like there were certain people doing it really well and some people not doing it well. Mm-hmm. The John Oliver show, I think, is still so consistently, uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, he's still very, very funny while being very, very angry. Yes. And I really appreciated that. And his deep dives into the horrible stuff that's going on mm-hmm. and in his Trump coverage, I thought, it made me laugh while not taking me out of how horrible things are. Mm. Unlike something like Saturday Night Live, which would you say it's more out there? Every Well, every time they do a political sketch, they open with a political sketch and uh, there's some big celebrity in it. And with the possible exception of Melissa McCarthy a couple of years ago as Sean Spicer and Matt, maybe Matt Damon doing um, Brett Kavanaugh. Ah, yes. Which is just a good performance. It's There was Ben Stiller as Michael Cohen as well. That was pretty good. Um, there's just no edge to it. There's mm. no, it's not cutting. It's just lampooning kind of yeah. the silliness of these characters. Yeah. And mugging. How, yeah, it's a lot of mugging. And even Alec Baldwin's impression of, of Donald Trump is, it's like we're laughing with with people almost rather than trying to get at the horror of what's going on. True. Yes. The Trump, the Alec Baldwin as Trump stuff was funnier during the campaign where you thought he was going to lose. Yes. And it was, yes, exactly. Haha, look at this idiot. But now, now things have gotten <laughs> serious. Yeah. And now we need something really sharp and nasty, which leads to my, the other thing that I liked, which is not, is an incredibly uneven show, Who is America? And people, oh, some people yeah. hated it. The Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. And it's not, it broadly, it's, it's no Borat. It's not, and it's not as good as the Ollie G show necessarily in terms of quality, consistency. But the way he gets politicians, former politicians and pundits, the way he gets them to endorse a program where kindergartners arm themselves to protect themselves was the most emotional moment on TV for me all year. Mm-hmm. It was just staggering. It's you getting. I can see you getting emotional talking about it. Yes. It's very... Yeah. Like it was horrifying to watch. Mm. And I know it's a very complex issue and there's lots of, well, there's lots of ins and outs. And, uh, but it, it was just such a stark representation of how horrible the situation is. Well, I, I was not expecting uh, not being able to get through this, mm. but um, 
I got an email from my brother the other day. His school in um, Atlanta, in Georgia, um, uh, got a, had a bomb threat. And obviously uh, there was the Connecticut shooting where all those kids were killed. And it's, I don't want to be too, uh, give too much representation to the other side of the argument, but it just seems like it's so horrible and something needs to be done. And the fact that he was able to do that segment and that these people read whatever cue cards they were reading, it's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Sasha Baron Cohen is just a master at, at this stuff. And that, I mean, yeah, it was just incredible. Yeah, and I unfortunately I don't think enough people saw that. It was clipped out and shared around yes. and it was, ha-ha, look at how ridiculous this is. But, you know, the seriousness of that and the, the speed with which these elected representatives, you know, didn't even take the bait. It was just they consented immediately. They, and, yeah, that, that just does show to the, the depths to which and like with, humanity has sunk. Like with uh, Chris Morris, Chris Morris's Brass Eye, where he'd have politicians on, it's a, a British show from the 90s, maybe early aughts, um, and get them to say just completely ridiculous things. I mean, you don't go on a show and say those things, even at however much you're paid. Uh, yeah, if your, you don't your moral it. compass should yeah. actually kick in. <laughs> because after, all, after each episode, there was a lot of, well, they tricked me, and uh, mm. of course I don't uh, think those things. And that, and that yeah. 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 Nice try. Yeah. So anyway, All right. an emotional uh, roller coaster yeah. a little bit. That was unexpected. That's but um, So that's my top five. I think there were five in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a worst list as such, but I was very much let down by Saturday Night Live mm. um, with their kind of coverage. So it, yeah, so that was disappointing, I guess. Yeah, no, the same. If I, I don't have a lot of my worst either, um, but this is sort of one I'll get to. But yeah, I would agree with Saturday Night Live. I think it having that institution and it's immediately referenced, oh, I wonder how SNL is going to cover this this week when something enormous happens that's political. It's a missed opportunity for the way that they do cover things. And the weekend update with Colin Juice and Michael Che, not great. It's no. a bit of a boys love in and they, they, they miss the mark a lot in the way that they, spend, yeah. you know, use their position to, to talk about things. Agreed. That would be on my worst too. So what were your, you mentioned Atlanta already as one of your top five. That is one of my five. What so else What else do you have? My number one is The Handmaid's Tale season two. Yes. Because I lived it <laughs> this year in terms of watching the show and recapping it on a little podcast yes. we call Eyes on Gilead, available where you get your podcasts from. I think this was the show I was engrossed in, obviously professionally by having to recap it, but also I loved the way you kind of knew the general gist of what this episode, or you knew the premise, but you could never pick the way the episodes were going to go. And um, I think Elizabeth Moss, for the birth episode alone, that was an incredible moment of television. I've never seen anything like it. And Yvonne Strahovski, I think, really came into her own this year because, I, yeah, Serena has been a fascinating character and I think the way that they played off each other, um, June and Serena Joy, this year was incredible. So that's that's my number one. And Company Woman, you can watch season two at SBS On Demand. Okay. Number two on my list, Nanette. People are like, oh, good bloke. I love being mistaken for a man. I, lo- I wouldn't want to be a straight white man. Not if you paid me. Although the pay would be substantially better. <laughs> Netflix, Hannah Gadsby's special, not a series, just a one-off, but an incredible moment of television watching, very funny comedy that then takes you on a journey and it's, yeah, 
everyone was talking about it as a as a TV moment, as a comedy moment, as a pop culture moment, tapping into Me Too. I just think it was, it was fantastic. A, it was a huge deal. Number three is Succession, which I mentioned last week, I yes. think, uh, with friend of the show Brian Cox as the media magnate. Oh, boy. And it's all about the dynasty and who gets what when he shuffles off the mortal coil. Incredible story of family dynamics. You've seen that. Yeah, I didn't want to include it in my top five because I haven't seen, I'm in the middle of it right yeah. now. Yeah. And Brian Cox is so good in that first in those, that first episode. Yeah. Frankly, I, I hope he comes back <laughs> because right now he's in a coma. Not Brian Cox. He's oh, he's okay. Logan Roy. Yes. Um, it's incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, what else? Number four is Counterpart. That was a nice surprise. Yes. And we recapped it during the show. You long-time <laughs> listeners <laughs> would know they got Counterpart recaps remember, whether they I wanted remember. them or not. I was going to include that in a special mention because of J.K. Simmons. His performance is amazing in it. Yes. Betrayal of Howard and him too. The, the split personality, not split personalities, but the two different people who are the same person. Yeah. If you've seen the show, you know what I mean. If you haven't seen the show, go watch the show. It's great. So it's on my list for that reason. And Atlanta, as already expressed, is on that too. Okay. I don't have a lengthy list of worst. I know you put SNL there and I agreed. It probably would be on that for the same reasons. The thing I was most disappointed by this year in terms of television was House of Cards. Mm. The end season. I know it was plagued with trouble because of the off-camera antics of its chief star, Kevin Spacey, who was unceremoniously axed for the final season and that's great and they very much should have done that but then it the series that that ended it was I thought they would move on and kill him off in the first episode and then it would be a bit of him lingering around in terms of being referred to but that was all it became yeah and it really missed the opportunity of having Claire as president and seeing what she would do without the ghost of Frank hanging around not literally yeah and I just think it was an absolute cop out and here's a spoiler if you haven't seen it but I'm telling you don't bother but whatever to just to make her pregnant, to have a female president, and the only yeah. thing you've got with the fact she's female is knock her up. Yeah. Nah. I and I like know it. it was a way of Claire doing that to then seem maternal to the people, but even so, it just didn't work. And the ending, also, the very ha- ending. No. In the previous season, weren't they hating each other? How are they having a, a baby together? Mm. What did you but think? But also, that wouldn't have been Frank's baby. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, mm. of course. And what did you think of the very end? Like the way. Yeah. It- What's the point? No. Yeah, big letdown. Very big letdown. And, and I'm disappointed because I loved the series Yes. throughout and I stuck with it and I completed it because of that, like you want to see it through. And even knowing the troubles they would have had, I think there were story strands that would have obviously been written for Frank if Kevin Spacey was still in it that other characters had to take on and it just didn't work. So, sorry. It's not the worst series, but it was just such yeah. a letdown that it has to be on my list. Yeah. All right. Wow. So we went through a lot there. We did our five best, five worst each with honourable mentions, dishonourable mentions. There was a lot there. We'll have our complete lists at SBS Guide, which is sbs.com.au slash guide, if you want to peruse those in full. And tell us your own. I want to hear what was your best and worst of the year. Yeah, tell us where we went wrong, even though we didn't. (laughs) Our lists are definitive. Yes. Well, that's it for this show. We've got one more for 2018 next week, and then we're taking a little break. We'll be back in January. Next week, we'll be doing a bit of a preview of the summer releases and the Boxing Day to give you ideas of what to watch over summer. Plan your holiday view. 
Make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. It helps people find the show. If you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook and Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. The Playlist is produced by Dan Barrett with editing and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>